Good afternoon, and welcome to Outer Cape News on WOMR. My name is Matthew Dunn. This is your update on what's happening on the Lower and Outer Cape, drawing on stories reported in the pages of the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. In this week's edition, Beth Dunn has stories about recounts of recent election results in Truro and Brewster, and I've got a story about good news for an affordable housing project in Provincetown. Will David is here with his exclusive WOMR Weekend Weather Outlook, and Ira Wood has a matter of opinion about Memorial Day. The dust continues to settle after a busy spring town meeting and election season, as a recount has taken place in one town and is now on tap for another. A recount in Truro confirmed that voters approved an override ballot question to fund and staff community sustainability programs. The town of Truro says that the recount tallied 293 yes votes, 290 no votes, and seven blank ballots. The measure passed easily at town meeting, but after it was approved by only one vote at the election on May 9th, Truro received two petitions calling for a recount on the ballot question. The recount took place at the Truro Community Center with a team that included town clerks from several Cape Cod towns, the Wellfleet election warden, and Truro town staff. Now that the bill has passed, the town will be allowed to assess taxes to fund a child care voucher system, a preschool program at the Truro Central School, and a child care program for times outside the school day and the school year. In Brewster, official election results confirmed Ned Chatelaine's re-election to the select board, and the incumbent has been sworn in. According to the official results, Chatelaine won the seat over Laurel Labden by six votes, 1,147 to 1,141. Laurel Labden has officially filed for a recount, which will be held May 31st. Candidate Carol Marie Anderson finished a distant third. An estimated 400 people visited the former Cape Cod Sea Camp's Bayside property last week to talk about ideas for community programming there. Town officials, design team members, and residents work together to identify their favorite activities from those suggested by the various planning committees. For those who couldn't attend, the presentation is now on the Brewstertown website on the Seacamp's project page. Select Board Member Mary Chafee called Saturday's turnout a great start to the six-part public forum process. At Saturday's meeting, information stations outlined potential future activities and the current inventory of buildings and structures on the site. There are 92 buildings on the property, many of which were built in the 1940s and are not winterized. Some of the buildings may end up providing deed-restricted affordable or seasonal housing. Potential partners like Brewster Recreation, Mass Audubon, YMCA, and the Cape Cod Museum of Natural History garnered lots of endorsements from participants. A survey will be posted later on the town's website to help synthesize some of the feedback, and a second public forum is now penciled in for the end of August. 
As Brewster decides how to develop its newly acquired property, abandoned structures are being torn down on the Outer Cape. By the end of June, the Cape Cod National Seashore will be about three-quarters of the way through its demolition of 44 buildings. More than half the buildings are at the former North Truro Air Force Station and became the property of the National Park Service when the base was retired in the 1990s. The rest of the properties were acquired shortly after the Cape Cod National Seashore was established in 1961. Some of the buildings were already uninhabitable when they were transferred to the park and have only gotten worse since. Park planner Lauren McKean told The Independent that most of the buildings are beyond repair, with roofs or other parts of the building caving in. Structures slated for demolition include 25 buildings at the former Air Force Base, three houses in Truro, several buildings in Wellfleet near Newcomb Hollow Beach and in the Herring River floodplain, and some in Eastham along the Nauset Inlet. Demolition and site work will continue until the end of June, when the project will pause for the summer. Contractors will resume their work on the last group of properties to be demolished in September. The park plans to complete the project by spring of 2024. In other news from the National Seashore, the Provincetown Select Board voted unanimously this week to send a complaint to the Cape Cod National Seashore about its Dune Shack request for proposals, which seeks to establish new leases for eight of the 18 dune shacks in the Peaked Hill Bar's historic district. The rustic shacks are owned by the seashore. The letter asks the seashore to suspend the bidding process and hold a public comment period, halt all pending evictions of current dune dwellers, reevaluate a seasonal limitation placed on the shacks, meet with Provincetown and Truro select boards and historic district commissions, and remove the opportunity to bid 25% over stated fair market value of the cottages. Stacy Ferguson, Chief of Administration and Business Services for the Seashore, said the request for leasing proposals is putting into practice a 2011 Dune Shack Management Agreement that was reached between the Seashore and stakeholders. Critics maintain that the agreement was not honored in the current RFP, nor did the seashore take into consideration the findings of an ethnographic study conducted by Robert Wolfe and T.J. Ferguson. That report, commissioned by the seashore, concluded that the dune shacks fit the criteria of a traditional cultural property and, as such, should be offered certain protections. The seashore disagreed with the recommendations of the report. In public comments at this week's select board meeting, 10 people criticized the Park Service's RFP, including three who were involved with the now-disbanded National Seashore Advisory Commission. Truro's select board also voted this week to draft a letter to the Park Service on the topic to be reviewed at its next meeting. Superintendent Brian Karlstrom said the Seashore would provide a fully vetted response to the letter when it is received. A host of social and cultural events and thousands of visitors from all over the world make Memorial Day weekend in Provincetown one of the town's largest and longest-running annual events for women and the unofficial start of the summer season. The Crown and Anchor hosts nightly dance parties from Friday through Sunday, and Saturday features the popular Freedom Boat Cruise that departs from Macmillan Wharf. 
The Crown and Anchor also host the Mega Women's Pool Party on Sunday afternoon. Comedian Kristen Becker performs at the Crown and Anchor from Friday through Sunday at 7 p.m. There are concerts with singer-songwriter Melissa Ferrick at the Art House and Les Zeppelin at Town Hall on Saturday. Local favorites Sarah Burrell and Sue Goldberg have a weekly afternoon jam session Sundays at 2 p.m. at the Governor Bradford. A new app this year helps with tracking and purchasing tickets for the nighttime parties, Saturday boat cruise, and Sunday pool party. You can visit lesbiannightlife.com for more information. For Outer Cape News, this is Beth Dunn. The 65-unit affordable housing project on Jerome Smith Road in Provincetown received nearly $29 million of funding from state and federal sources last week. $9 million in direct funding from the Massachusetts Department of Housing and Community Development will be paired with almost $20 million in state and federal tax credits. The 46-unit project at 95 Lawrence Road in Wellfleet did not get funds from the state agency in this round, however. Nonprofit groups Preservation of Affordable Housing and the Community Development Partnership are collaborating on the Wellfleet project. Jay Coburn, CEO of the CDP, said they'll reapply in a special mini-round of funding that the state will conduct later this year. Coburn said that his team was disappointed that Lawrence Road didn't receive funding in this round, but he said the regional results were overall positive, given that the 14-unit project at 107 Main Street in Orleans also received state funding. Coburn said it's highly unusual for a project to get funded in its first round, and he's confident that the Wellfleet project will receive funding in the next round. The $1 million in Community Preservation Act funds that Wellfleet Town Meeting voters just approved for the Lawrence Road project will still apply if that project is funded later this year. At the Provincetown Select Board meeting this week, Town Manager Alex Morse told the board that the Jerome Smith Road project is slated to break ground early next year. The development will feature 61 affordable units and four market rate units in four three-story buildings on 1.8 acres, with a mix of studio apartments and one-, two-, and three-bedroom units. The project includes rental units at 30% of area median income, 60% AMI, workforce units at 80% of AMI, and four market-rate units. Provincetown is contributing a $3 million direct allocation and $500,000 in Community Preservation Act funds, as well as having committed $900,000 to buy the VFW parcel back in 2013. Additionally, Truro contributed $100,000 from its Community Preservation Act money. The total project cost is currently estimated at $37.8 million. 
the timeline from earmarking a property for housing to a ribbon cutting can be more than a decade. While each town is now making plans for key parcels, including the former police station site on Shankpainer Road in Provincetown, the Walsh property in Truro, Maurice's campground in Wellfleet, and the Tea Time property in East Ham, Coburn urged the Outer Cape to continue looking ahead. The Wellfleet Dredge Task Force believes it has come up with a plan for the dredging of the South Mooring area in Wellfleet Harbor that satisfies the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, would benefit the town, reinvigorate the oyster beds, and cost significantly less money than the $14 million fee floated previously. Co-Chair Christopher Algeyer gave an overview of the plan details during a community forum on Monday. The area was last dredged in 1957, so this is considered improvement rather than maintenance dredging. The town needs a permit because of federal regulations regarding improvement dredging. That permit requires a mitigation plan or the payment of a hefty fee. The original fee of $14 million dropped to $4.5 million following lengthy discussions between the town and the Corps of Engineers. The mitigation plan would restore and improve 28 acres in Blackfish Creek by placing culch, or sea clam shells, to encourage oyster growth and monitoring oyster populations and water quality. The work would create a significant new oyster population and help protect juvenile fish in Blackfish Creek. Larger oyster populations will protect the shoreline by reducing energy impacts from storm waves and promote improved water quality. Dredging in the south mooring field will allow boats to enter and leave at low tide. With increased accessibility, 80 additional moorings could be added. Dredging will also stop the encroachment of black custard, a thick organic sediment, on shellfish grants in Chipman's Cove. The town must get approval for the plan prior to dredging. The town has already been awarded a $2.5 million state grant for the dredge, but must have a vendor under contract by the end of June. Bids for the dredge were due by May 25th. Details of the plan can be found in the Select Board Packet for May 23rd on the Wellfleet Town website at wellfleet-ma.gov. Orleans officials had high hopes for Patricia McDonald when she began work as the town's new recreation director on May 1st, but after just three weeks on the job, McDonald resigned last week, just months ahead of the start of summer programming. Interim Town Administrator Charles Sumner broke the news to the Recreation Advisory Committee on May 18th, saying that McDonald submitted her letter of resignation earlier that day. Sumner said McDonald was offered a position in the town of Sandwich, where she served as assistant recreation director prior to being hired in Orleans. Sumner said he and Council on Aging Director Judy Wilson, who has been helping guide recreation while the department transitions to a new director, exhausted a lot of time and energy working on the matter. McDonald was hired to lead the recreation department after former director Alan Harrison was placed on leave and later resigned in February. Orleans recreation programming has lagged behind those in neighboring towns in recent years, 
and officials hoped that McDonald's hire would bring stability to the department and help it turn the corner. Now, Sumner and Wilson are faced with figuring out how to keep this summer's recreation programming on track. Sumner said at last week's meeting that it would take a few days to figure out how the town will proceed with its summer rec programs. While optimistic about the town's ability to provide programming this summer, Wilson said it will take significant work to salvage as much programming for this season as possible. Sumner recommended that the timeline for hiring a new rec director be left to incoming town manager Kimberly Newman, who is due to begin work on July 1st. With Memorial Day weekend upon us and high season right around the corner, the social calendar is full of festivals and celebrations. This year's Provincetown Pride celebration will be held next weekend, June 2nd through the 4th, at venues around town. As the event's sponsoring organization, the Provincetown Business Guild has put together a schedule that pops with new events and old favorites. As part of Pride's soft opening on June 1st, the welcome mat will be out at the newly opened Provincetown Pride Center at 115 Bradford Street. The gray, clabbered house located across from Town Hall once held the Guild offices back in the 1980s when the organization first began marketing Provincetown as a welcoming gay mecca. Added to the new office space is a gathering spot that will house exhibits and information highlighting events important to gay history and culture. A complete Provincetown Pride schedule with times and locations is available online at ptown.org, but Saturday's centerpiece Pride Festival and Rally festivities begin at 1 p.m. on Saturday, June 3rd at Town Hall and... Organizers are planning for a big event after last year's expected attendance of three to 500 turned into a crowd of more than 2,000. The rally concludes with an informal parade to the west end of town for a tea dance at the boat slip. For Outer Cape News, my name is Matthew Dunn. This is meteorologist Will David with your weekly weather watch and temperature trend for the Outer Cape. What a difference a week makes and what a pleasant surprise. Last Friday, I was not overly optimistic about the holiday weekend weather. I knew it wouldn't be a washout, but I was thinking we'd see a bit of everything. Some days with sun, some with clouds, and some with passing showers. And when you're forecasting that kind of pattern, you wouldn't expect anything more than seasonal temperatures at best. However, Mother Nature has thrown a curveball, but this time she's pitching for us, and it's all good news. High pressure anchored from the Great Lakes to New England will strengthen and slide off the coast during the weekend, bringing much warmer air and even a summer-like feel, especially on Sunday. Now, even the Outer Cape, surrounded by the cooler Atlantic waters, will see unseasonably mild air on west-to-southwest winds. And in addition to the surface high, An upper-level high will also strengthen and keep any unsettled weather from spoiling our holiday stretch. 
A weak backdoor front may shave a bit off the temperatures on Memorial Day, but it will still be very pleasant. In the longer term, much warmer air once again returns by mid to late week. By next weekend, another weak front may bring us a chance of showers. And looking even further down the road, it's looking like more frequent fronts and more seasonal temperatures. So let's enjoy this upcoming warm stretch at the perfect time. Elsewhere across the nation, low pressure off the North Carolina coast will bring a miserable stretch of holiday weekend weather. The low could even become subtropical, but even if it doesn't, there are going to be heavy rains, gusty winds, coastal flooding, rip currents, and even some beach erosion over a large portion of the mid-Atlantic and southeast coast. If your holiday plans take you to this part of the country, pack your patience and plan on mostly indoor activities. Meanwhile, wildfires continue over Western Canada and plumes of smoke are still making their way into parts of the Western and Central US with reduced visibility and poor air quality. The smoke will at times spread into the Northeast, but will be at a high enough altitude to spare us any health concerns it should just bring us nothing more than a milky sky along with colorful sunrises and sunsets. And finally, NOAA released their seasonal hurricane forecast yesterday, and much like the private weather companies, they are predicting a slightly above normal season, but tending more toward normal with less activity than in previous years. This again is due to a developing El Nino, which by the way is now forecast to become a strong El Nino later this year. And remember, El Nino can wreak havoc around the world with weather disasters that can reach into the trillions of dollars. But El Nino can also lessen the frequency of tropical development in the Atlantic Basin. But there are two important things to consider here. First, we all know it takes only one big landfalling storm to make it a busy and bad year. And secondly, unlike years with previous El Ninos, this year is starting off with a very warm Atlantic Basin. So, will the warm waters offset the potential decrease in activity? I'll have much more to say about all of this in the weeks ahead. Now my exclusive WOMR Memorial Day weekend weather forecast for the Outer Cape. This afternoon, bright sunshine, highs around 63. Tonight, mostly clear, lows around 47. Saturday, strong late May sunshine, highs around 70. Sunday, mostly sunny and unseasonably mild, high 70 to 75. Memorial Day outlook, partly to mostly sunny and cooler, highs around 65. As always, stay safe and informed by keeping an eye to the sky and an ear to the radio. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody, and to all the veterans past and present, and to those who gave the ultimate sacrifice, thank you. I'm Weather Will. As Memorial Day approaches and the hot, steamy weather arrives, all the things I didn't do during the off-season months are suddenly at hand. High on my list every year are swimming, of course, but also taking off some extra weight. And that's when I think about the human seal. 
Every year I promise myself that I'll swim more, swim like I used to as a kid, hit the sand from early morning till sunset, body surf or swim across the ponds until it's time to return home, completely wrung out, then fall into bed that night and sleep like the dead. Remember all that? Chances are you miss it as much as I do, except that swimming, unless you know of a very secluded beach or go at odd times, always involves bearing your body to other people. And if you grew up as an overweight child like I did, it's a time that's fraught with anxiety. In fact, I rarely imagine a summertime of beach-going without a springtime of doing a lot of dieting first. Yes, I know, diets are futile and unhealthy, but when you were body-shamed all your young life, common sense takes a back seat to the media barrage of the weight loss industry, not to mention all those buff bodies on TV and the movies, Facebook, Instagram, and the other social networks. But while getting older has made it even harder for me to reduce the size of my waist, it's also made it easier to change my old habits. So now, whenever I start to conflate swimming and being ashamed of my body, I conjure up the human seal. He is a real person, by the way. His name is Gudlager, and he's from Iceland. I learned his story from a brilliant book called Why We Swim by Bonnie Tsoi. As she tells the tale, one winter night back in 1984, Gudlager was working on a fishing trawler three miles off the Icelandic coast when the boat's trawling gear snagged on the sea bottom. Attempting to winch up the gear, a wire rope became taut on one side, pulling the boat over so far that the sea began to wash through the railings. The winch jammed, a swell ran under the boat, and the entire crew of five was pitched into the freezing sea. Two of them drowned immediately, and the remaining three grabbed hold of the keel. The vessel began to sink. They could not release the emergency raft. The water was 41 degrees Fahrenheit when the remaining three began their swim to shore in near total darkness. Within minutes, only two remained, and soon enough, only one. And Gudlager did not stop swimming. Using the backstroke, he kept his eyes trained on a distant lighthouse and eventually made out the sound of surf crashing against the rocks. Thirsty, exhausted, and unable to feel his extremities, he realized he was confronting a sheer rock cliff with no way to climb up. Turning back to the sea, he adjusted course and finally found a beach on which to haul himself ashore. Barefoot and covered in frost, he slowly made his way across a snowy field toward the lights of town. All told, he spent six hours in frigid seas and swam more than three and a half miles to land. When he was taken to the hospital, 
doctors were unable to discern his pulse, but nor were they able to detect any signs of hypothermia. What they did discover was that his body resembled a seal's. He was insulated by 14 millimeters of fat, two or three times the normal human thickness. Warm, buoyant, and energized enough to keep swimming, half-human, half-marine mammal, Gudlager became a national hero of Iceland. He's also a hero of mine. So every time I look at my gut and think I'm too fat to go to the beach, I think of the human seal and realize, hey, I may also be too fat to drown. I'm Ira Wood, and that's my opinion. And that does it for this week's edition of Outer Cape News. Thanks go to the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. Thanks also to Beth Dunn, Will David, and Ira Wood for their contributions to the program. And thanks to Henry and Jane Fisher and Jacob Greenberg for being sustaining members of Outer Cape News. Now stay tuned for Friday Afternoon Jazz. It's Lush Life with Scott Penn on listener-supported Outermost Community Radio, WOMR.